coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, taking advantage of the downtime to talk again about the best sport in the world. So tell me, uh, who the fuck are you? What do you do? <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, so I'm Beverly Cosmos, um, and so I'm the chief instructor of the Johannesburg Skydiving Club, and I'm currently flying point in a four-way and an age team. That's who I am. So you're pretty damn busy. Pretty busy, yes, I would say so. Running a couple of other businesses on the side to make sure we have enough money for skydiving. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So not a whole lot of downtime for you. Never. <laughs> <laughs> so well, so if you're chief instructor for Skydive Johannesburg, when the heck do you find time to train properly doing four-way and eight-way? I mean, that's that's a full-time job in itself. Um, yeah, so I wish in South Africa we, we kind of ran it like the rest of the world, um, but we don't have a lot of sponsorship that comes through. So pretty much all of our teams are self-funded, and okay. we all have regular jobs that have to fund it, um, which means that we're not very good when we go and compete against the rest of the world, um, <laughs> as we've noticed. And we also don't have the luxury of wind tunnels in South Africa, so we tend to travel um, around the world and to come and use your coaches all over the place to kind of up our skills. So it's, it's, skydiving is really a part-time thing for us down here. Um, there's very few people that do it full-time. Okay. Okay. Well, now, um, as the chief instructor for Skydive Johannesburg, I mean, does that keep you pretty busy? Do you guys have a lot of uh, – uh, is it a tandem operation or is it fun jumpers? or? It's both. So we, we've got a lot of students. So we still do – traditional static line progression. Um, oh, wow. Plus we do the accelerator. Plus we still do the accelerator free fall. Um, and then yes, tandem, but definitely not as much as some of the other businesses around us because we're still a club. So we still operated like a, um, a regular family-run committee-based operation, which is pretty cool. But for me, my job and what keeps me going is just progressing people. I love training and jumping with and progressing people and making people good coaches and good dumb masters and good instructors. That, sure. That help, is really the most fulfilling. Helping yep. spread the love. Now, um, speaking of, yeah, how, how did you get started? Oh, it was, was skydiving kind of your first extreme sport or uh, were you always into stuff that was kind of pushing it? Um, so, so it was probably my most extreme sport. So I kind of started off with um, a lot of gymnastics and tumbling and acrobatics and school sports when I was young. So I kind of started really young. So at the age of four, I was in competitive gymnastics. Okay. Um, with the aim, with the aim to go to the Olympics and to be a springbok gymnast at the time. Um, and then kind of life happened, and that didn't pan out. So got into skydiving. Uh, I was dating a guy at the time who was like, "Hey, let's go skydive." And of course, I battled to say no to anything. So right. I was like, "Yes, yes, sure, let's go." And of course, one startup turned into two, turned into a couple of thousand. Wow. Um. So yeah, that's that's currently where we are. It wasn't the, really the, something that I was interested in. The big question is, did he, did he keep skydiving after that? He did. He did. And uh, he now lives in the states and works for one of the large uh, parachute manufacturers. So yes. He is very much involved. Oh, see, that's very cool because usually the story I hear is, oh, no, they pissed off. That was one jump and they were out of it, which seems to be, uh, you know, there's only one nut in the bunch usually. <laughs> yeah, I think we were both quite lucky. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm stretching my sports knowledge because I'm pretty useless outside of skydiving. But the, uh, Springbok is the national rugby team uh, for uh, for South Africa, yes? 
now. Um, and that was the, the big disappointment, I think, is that, um, you know, back in the day, and I say this because I was born in the 70s, but in the 70s and 80s, the springbok was our national colours. That's what it was called. So all sports, you got your springbok colours. And it was only in the 90s when they actually removed the springbok from all the other sports. But the rugby team was so well-renowned around the world as the Springboks that they fought and managed to keep that. So even though they get protea colors now, sure. as or we all do, um, they are known as the Springboks, as the Kiwis and the All Blacks, for example. Like, so, um, so it was quite disappointing for me not to get my Springbok colors. That's what I always wanted. Sure. But I did manage to get my protea national colors in skydiving kind of in my, my mid-20s. So, so it all kind of worked out. Um, we still got our green blazer and uh, got to represent our country, which was like, really oh, fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, now, so you, you started jumping, uh, you said, what, 20 years ago, 25 years ago? Yeah, so it's kind of 97. Um, so where we sitting there, probably 21, 22 years ago. Okay. Um, so it was, it was really the heyday, I think, of, well, maybe the transition, but we still had a lot of delinquents in the sport. Right. Um, and and uh, yeah, so, so it wasn't as strictly regulated as it is now. Sure. I think we've we've now got a, a lot more kind of regulation in place and a lot more guidance and guidelines. And, and the the nature of the people, I don't think they've changed too much. We've still got a lot of delinquents that I've sure. dealt with. Um, <laughs> and um, but I, I just keep on thinking that that personality type is always going to kind of hang out in our sport. We just have a couple of head boys and head girls that that have kind of morphed into our, our community. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's like the personalities are the same. I just think that maybe the gear has gotten safer and and maybe we've become a little bit more responsible in our yeah. old Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I got started in the roughly the same time. We're pretty much contemporaries in the sport. And I look back uh, and think we were probably the luckiest of all the skydiving generations because we still had enough of the, the old school mentality um, the days of the low pull contests and heavy drinking and huge partying, <laughs> you know, and then this Absolutely. transition into um, the almost the grunge phase of skydiving where everybody was getting stoned and doing psychedelics and wearing dirty jumpsuits and the dirtier your rig was, the better a skydiver you probably were to, yep. you know, what is now very uh almost military in its feel sometimes, especially with the dedication that the four and eight way uh, teams put in is very much a, a military mentality. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, when you're in those professional teams, I mean, they are signing such hectic contracts um, in terms of, you know, misbehaving or drinking during competition. So, so I think because they're getting so well funded, um, the, the funders are just looking after their investments. So the guys have become very clean cut. Um, yeah. So maybe in South Africa, we're a little luckier because we sell fun. So we still drink during competition and misbehave a little bit. But <laughs> it's not as, yeah, we kind of have to wait for everybody to finish the competition before they join us. Right, right. Well, it used to be, uh, you know, when I got started, you would go, my my first big uh, turbine drop zone was Paris Valley. And Paris Valley was famous for its yeah. partying as well. And, you know, people were having yeah. their, uh, what did they call them, safety meetings, where they're sneaking off behind the buildings and getting stoned <laughs> and jumping all day. And, yeah. you know, and this was just, it yeah. was known. It was going on every day. And it seems to me that now that's still absolutely, you know, the partying still goes on, but now it's relegated to the big events and the specific times when people know that they're going to go get bent, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, so 
from my perspective as a as a chief instructor, you know, I don't set the rules, but I have to enforce them. Sure. Um, it is it is dealing with people going, oh, but weed is getting, you know, it's becoming legal, and I'm you know, as to how you deal with that in a way that you're not going to isolate people and get them to hide away, right? And go and smoke a joint or have a beer around the corner and then come back to start us. Um. So it, it, it's a fine line to kind of walk to make sure that we're still keeping the sport safe enough. Sure. Um, but not taking the fun out of it completely. Yeah, you know, I, I actually hadn't thought about that as, as uh, not just the United States, but the world moves closer to either decriminalizing or legalizing stuff like marijuana. Uh, obviously, it's going to happen a whole lot more. Myself as a pilot... I'll never be able to smoke this stuff. It'll never be legal for a pilot to smoke and then go fly a plane the next day. It's just not going to happen. Uh, and I completely yeah. agree with that, to be honest. Uh, but I yeah, wonder. So I. <laughs> yeah, I, I really do. Um, luckily, weed and I don't get along anyway. Uh, but uh, I wonder how that will affect uh, jumpers like in the United States. And I'm sure in South Africa, you're required to get a medical certificate before you can become an instructor. Um, so I wonder how that's going to affect it once that's legalized, if they're going to allow that. Yeah. So, I mean, our legalization process is quite far down the line. So you can consume in your own home and you can grow your own. So that is already in place. Um, it's really just managing that on the drop zone kind of at the end of a skydiving day or, you know, and then the people are going to skydive the next day. It really is managing that because the drop zone, of course, is still public property. Sure. Kind of private, private property, but not that person's private property. So the... You, you can't really get through that loophole. Right. Um, it's got to be in your own own private residence and then for your own consumption. So it's also not kind of passing the plants around the circle. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, I always had mixed feelings about it because about midway through my career in active jumping, I watched a, a, a fate, watched a fatality with a, a friend of mine that had been drinking heavily, uh, and having come up yeah. in the uh, the safety meeting days, I was never a fan of jumping under any intoxication, but a big fan of doing all that shit as soon as the sun went down. Uh, so my mentality yeah. was: show up sober to jump, do your job, and then as soon as the sun goes down, have at it. I don't care. Um, so I was, yeah. I was always 100% against any kind of intoxication while jumping, but outside of that, go for it. Yeah. And I, and I think, I mean, we've had that as well, where we have had friends that have been kind of drinking till four in the morning and right. stay on first load. And we have, we've scraped our friends off the ground as well. Um, and so many of these fatalities can be linked back to some form of overindulgence the night before. So oh, yeah. it's not even that the people are still drunk. It's the fact that they are potentially just tired, just haven't had enough to eat um, or hangover. So, yeah, I mean, my, my basic rule is you can either be tired or you can be hangover. You can't be both. Right. Um, so, you know, kind of have a hard and fast rule. Well, and that's that's got to be tough, though, especially considering, uh, again, I, I say we're the luckiest generation in skydiving because we learned those lessons ourselves. Uh, we didn't have to have anybody, you know, forcing rules down our throats. Yeah. Um, but how is it coming from our generation of excess <laughs> and enforcing these yeah. rules for people that are just doing the same shit we were trying to pull? Yeah. You know what? I think it's um, it, it takes a little bit of psychology. And luckily... You know, my other job is in advertising with a bit of consumer behavior. So the kind of consumer behavior and, and that kind of world is, is quite familiar to me um, in not alienating people for doing that. Mm. Um, and it's about having, having a good conversation. 
Um, the other thing that we have to play with on my side is being a woman in a male-dominated school. Mm. So, you know, you know we've, we're 15% of skydivers um, being a woman and having a female chief instructor trying to tell some macho guy um, <laughs> that he can or can't do something is, is another challenge altogether. So it's just a little bit of sugar, but sure. most of the time we get people to come around. Well, now, um, was some was going after chief instructor something that you were pushing for? I mean, I, I I've actually been really lucky to talk to a lot of the the top female athletes in the sport over the last couple of years, and um, some of them have amazing experiences that really they've had no problems whatsoever, and others have had really difficult roads. I, I, was this something that you were pushing for, or did you kind of find yourself backed into a corner and you had the job? <laughs> Um, I think more back into the corner. Um, <laughs> no, I've, I've never wanted to be the boss of a business or, mm. you know, the boss of a job. And that was never something that I was um, coming for at all. Um, it was really kind of the club didn't have anybody else at the time. And, and I was actually in Brazil at the Football World Cup. And I had a phone call from our our chairman just to go, Bev, you're it. Like, this is it. Like, please, I'll, like, whatever you need. Um and I was very, very lucky to have, and I still am, um, kind of six years later, I'm very lucky to have an instructor body and a committee that supports me and backs me 100%. And I think if I didn't have that, it would have been a lot more difficult to do this job. Um, the the guys that I have around me are phenomenal. Wow. And, and nobody gets away with anything or any level of disrespect, which has been really phenomenal. So I'm very lucky to sure. have those guys um, at my side. And I've got a, an insanely good instructor body that I've built up over the last kind of six, seven years in this role where people just roll up their sleeves and get involved. So from the jump masters to the coaches to the instructors, um, they they really are my, my backbone. So I can't take all the credit um, for sure, um, but because they are amazing. And even if I'm not there, the, the drop zone runs how it should run. So it's, I'm definitely happy to let people make decisions and make the right decisions. Well, and isn't um, that kind of the kind key of, to being, you know, to being a good manager is the ones that don't succeed, I find, are the ones that try and run every little aspect of everything and they don't have faith in their staff to do anything on their own. And the really yeah. smart managers are the ones that let everyone else make them look good. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the important bit is that I don't know everything. I'm definitely not an exceptional skydiver. I think I'm a pretty decent instructor and AFF instructor and I'm a pretty decent skydiver but I'm definitely far from the best um, even in my little little pond sure. <laughs> um, so and I don't know everything and I think the, the important bit and, and what everybody has realized is if I don't know something I'm going to tell them I don't know it um, and rather try and find out or send them to somebody who knows more than me and oh yeah it really is just I, I'm the one that has to kind of make the final call but um, I'm definitely not not the only person in, in the whole group. Sure. That well, and I would I would much rather have a manager as a supervisor that's willing to admit, hey, I need help on this or I don't know what's going on here. I'll have dramatic more respect for that than I will someone that's trying to fake it. Yeah. No, so it's, it's been, it's pretty much been that road. But again, by more by default and by planning. Sure. Now, was was this? Uh, <laughs> did you learn some of these lessons from mentors that you've had along the way? I mean, did you have any any special people in the sport that kind of solidified the way you are now? Oh yes, for sure. Um, so I've had two main mentors in my life, um, skydiving wise. 
the first one was um, Eric, so Tonto, uh, that a lot of people know. And he was just the most amazing person. Um, and he made so many friends from people all around the world mm. that when he did die, I think it was 12 years ago now, um, his death impacted so many people uh, because he had that personal connection with people. Mm. And he, he just had a, an outlook and a way of looking at things that made you think. Um, and it didn't have to be combative in, in any shape or form. Um, so I did learn a lot from him, um, from being an instructor and kind of working with people and looking at things a different way. Sure. So he was really amazing from, from that point of view. Um, and then Banner Parker, um, who's currently rocking the world in, on the British four-way lady scene, she, she was the one that pushed me into a lot of, a lot of the roles that I eventually kind of took on. So jump masters and um, instructors um, and even kind of the first four-way team that she then guided and helped and coached us um, so that we could get to go and represent South Africa. So she was um, really somebody who made us do better. Cool. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, so those two people are, are pretty instrumental in my world. Now, is is uh, I've never jumped in in South Africa before. Although I've met a number of jumpers, uh, Billy and Angie Sharman are close friends and stuff. Is it is it a yes. tight knit community in South Africa? Is it a small skydiving community in South Africa? It is a very small community. So everybody so knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody. Um, so obviously the country is quite vast from a, a kind of land point of view. Sure. So we don't always get to jump with each other all the time. Um, and there are a number of drop zones all over the country. But, but yes, we, we are a very small community. Um, and we all have to work together, I think, is, is the big lesson that we've learned over time. Because if we don't, and, and people have their own kind of idea of what they want to do in the sport, um, then there's a, there's a detrimental knock-on. So sure. we definitely feel that. Um, and, and obviously, we need to share the information as well. So... You know, dealing with the guys that have traveled overseas, lived overseas, um, had a lot of international coaching, you know, to bring back those skills and expertise and, and advice is, is absolutely critical for us. Sure. Um, and, and, and we don't share as much as we should. You know, we, we really need to share more. Um, but, but yeah, it's a tight mix, but, but uh, it's kind of like a big family. I mean, there's a number of drop zones on the continent itself, though, and, and some of them were relatively high profile, but they've definitely seemed to have uh, problems here and there that I've heard pop up. Diani had issues. Um, uh, I know that uh, um, uh, Olaf Zipser had started up something in the Akavango for a little while, and, and again, all on the same continent, and, and it didn't exactly go where he'd expected. So to hear for, about the long, um, long-lasting, long successful drop zones in South Africa is pretty amazing. Because, I mean, Billy and Charmin, uh, Billy uh, Sharman took over a drop zone that's been around forever. Uh, and how long, yes, is, how long so has Johannesburg been around as well? So, so almost as long as Pretoria. So the, the start of Pretoria, which Billy and Angie ran now, um, is for way over 50 years old. I know we did a 50-year jump for them. Wow. Um, so they must be 53, 54 now. Um, and the Dunford Starting Club, it's, it's almost as long. Um, it used to be the Carlton Ball Parachute Club, okay. the CPC, um, if people talk about that. And then the name changed um, more from a marketing point of view um, because, of course, nobody knows where Colsonville is. Um, and now it's changed its name even more. So the area is 
like people really don't know where Mirafong is. <laughs> um, but the Johannesburg Caravan Club has, has been going for a very long time as well. And, you know, we're, we're one of the very few clubs left. I think there are, there are two, two or three clubs, like proper clubs left. The rest are all privately owned businesses. So, so they kind of open and close as well, which is a little disappointing. But, sure. you know, we need to, we need to make sure that, uh, that we look after the guys that are looking after the skydivers because, you know, you can open up a tandem operation. That's great. It's awesome if you're on the coast. But like now when there's, um, you know, visa issues or water issues or COVID-19 issues down in the Cape, those drop zones really battle. Oh, yeah. Um, where, you know, because it's a, it's a business and, and they all earn a living. Well, and skydiving, whereas, I mean, I've always been on the, the either the instructor side or the pilot side of skydiving and never so much on the management and business side. But I mean, skydiving is a very sensitive sport in regard to uh, any economic problems. It's one of the first things people stop yep. doing because it's really yep. fucking expensive, <laughs> you know. Uh, yep. So yep. with with stuff like the uh, um, the outbreak, the, the virus that's going around right now, you guys must be feeling it really badly. So we've only just shut down our job zone now. So we're, we're a couple of weeks in um, and, and it's just really precaution. Um, but for us, as our club, we're okay because, like I said, none of us earn a living or start living, so we all have regular jobs. Sure. But the drop zones that do have instructors and that's the only source of income, that's pretty tough. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, I do feel for them and, and I'm hoping that this all gets sorted really fast. Um, yeah. But, I, but I, I, you know... Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's a tough one because you've got to have a balance. Um, and I think we've got the balance right at, at JSC for sure. Well, I watched uh, um, in the States when uh, when September 11th happened, of course, every drop zone in the U.S. was grounded instantly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I watched yeah. every one of my friends, you know, out of work and struggling to, to find jobs. And it's a rather unique lifestyle as a full-time skydiver. Um, and it's yeah. not like I can just go out and my skills don't apply anywhere else. <laughs> you know, they just don't. Yeah. Mine is a pilot due to some degree, but I've been flying jumpers for so many years that most airlines look at me like I'm some stunt pilot. You know, they don't, <laughs> I'm not taken seriously. <laughs> you know, I haven't worn shoes to fly an airplane in years, so it's it's very difficult for me to, it just doesn't translate, you know. Um, so with you, how are you able to find this balance between the real world, I, I like to call it, and the skydiving world, because, I mean, you are very, very busy, but the responsibilities you have in, in the sport are hectic. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I have a balance. Um, <laughs> I think that, <laughs> I think that um, skydiving just happens all the time. Right. So, you know, if, if I need to be doing some kind of paperwork or documentation or approvals or training or whatever, it just kind of fits in to the rest of my daily life. Um, and the guys do know that they can call me at any time or WhatsApp me anytime. Um, I do go to bed really early. So mm. if they're phoning me kind of after 8 or 8.30, they're not going to get through. I'll phone them again the next morning. Right. But the, I think it just fits in. Um, I must also say I've got an exceptionally understanding partner who is not a side of it. And it's just been amazing how I come and go and I'm at the drop zone for the full weekend and I come home to a smiling face and not some grumpy person who, who is also going to be upset with, you know, so many guys phoning me and WhatsApping me and messaging me <laughs> at right. all hours of the day. Right. 
and and doesn't have a, a jealous bone in his body because he knows that they they all kind of my brothers. And, that's and that's, the that's so, really so rare stuff. too, because I mean, let's it's face great. it, uh, the the dynamic, the male female dynamic in skydiving is unlike anywhere else I've ever experienced. I mean, some of my closest friends in the world are female skydivers, and we treat each other just like the guys or girls. There's, it's you know, it's very non sexual. That's just my friend, and you talk shit and say horribly inappropriate things that non skydivers just don't get they don't understand yeah and it's very difficult for an outsider to see that so you got lucky <laughs> yeah i know and and i appreciate that hugely i know i'm very lucky mm. um i mean i was i'm also in advertising and advertising is as horrific and as sexist and you know the the things that the, our bosses and our senior kind of management used to say to us as juniors and interns it was hectic it was like madmen it really was sure. like madmen and um, and so the, the skydiving world was just an extension of that. But I do consider myself one of the boys, and you know my mouth can be as foul. And sometimes <laughs> the comments that come out of my mouth floor some of my teammates. But um, but I think you've also got to be quite thick-skinned. Um, yeah. To sometimes not. Fit. Oh, you know, it, offended by something. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask if uh, if the skydiving lifestyle and, and mentality ever accidentally bleed into the real world and get you in trouble, but then I remembered you'd said advertising, so it's probably the other way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, 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 there's been a couple of things, and, and I think all girls experience this in some shape or form, um, where, you know, a student has not wanted to jump with myself, actually it was myself and Vanna, um, you know, kind of looking around the room, looking for a male instructor rather. And then on the other hand, you've got these guys who are going, wow, I've got two blonde instructors. Sure. And they think that they've landed in heaven. Right. So, so it's, you, you kind of you roll with the punches. The only um, time I've... But it's, I think the only time I've ever personally witnessed a guy having a problem with jumping with a woman was in a tandem situation, which I don't understand because some of the most talented tandem instructors I know are women. Uh, but I'm yeah. also in the sport, so I, I can't really speak for them. They've got no idea. But I would, I can't fathom why a guy would be upset about jumping with a female uh, static line or AFF instructor. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Have you met some... Afrikaans, South Africans. Yes, yes, I <laughs> have. Some of them might change your mind. Some of them are very, very old-fashioned. <laughs> Not the skydivers so much, but, uh, but yeah, they, uh, they're very traditional. Uh, put fair. it that way. Okay, all right. That's a very polite way to put it. <laughs> you mean they're, they're sexist old pigs, is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, fair enough. No, no, I've met the type. I, I definitely know the type. I guess I just, uh, uh, I, yeah, I, I just that doesn't equate to my idea of skydiving these days. <laughs> well, now, has the majority of the skydiving that you've done been in South Africa, or have you traveled a bunch too? Oh, I have had the best time traveling with skydiving. Um, so, when I did two world meets, so I did the 2004-2006 world meet, so that was... Um, Croatia and Germany. Awesome. Um, and and we did a little bit of training in Spain at Imperia. Um, that was before it got sold. And I've been to the States for a little bit of jumping, so kind of the land um, and well, kind of a whole bunch of Florida, really. Um, and then, sure, I've done a lot of tunnel camps, so kind of all over from Prague to Russia to Spain. Um, and yeah, so I've managed to experience quite a lot of of skydiving kind of all over the world, which has been amazing, and obviously met 
the most phenomenal people yeah. from all over the world um, that are that are still really good friends. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of damping, a whole bunch of tunnel. Um, and absolutely still wanting to travel a whole lot more. Sure. Well, I think that's where I got so spoiled being a jumper in the States and especially in uh, um, the California drop zones and, and Arizona is I was going back and forth in between, you know, Paris and I would make the occasional trips out to Eloy and stuff. And so I got to meet the whole world of skydivers without actually going anywhere. Yeah. You know, I didn't start traveling yeah. for skydiving and, and working in the industry until I'd been jumping for almost a dozen years. Uh, so, but I was spoiled because I I had friends from all over the world, which is the most amazing thing still to this day for me in skydiving is how varied backgrounds and races and, and uh, genders and everything. It just is this huge melting pot of a sport, which is awesome. Yeah. And um, it's, it's something that ironically my non-skydiving partners had to understand that when I just say to him, I'm like, oh, this dude from Australia is coming to stay with us. And he's like, do you know him? And I'm like, no, but he's a skydiver. Right, right. <laughs> and um, and um, so he's had people come and crash in our spare room. Um, so, and he's just gotten used to that idea that if you're a skydiver and you need a place to stay or for whatever reason, that the doors are open. Yeah. And, and that to me has been a, such, such a special thing. With oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's uh, uh, kind of the, uh, the outward image of skydivers in the sport has changed a little bit. Uh, of course, especially in the States when I was coming up, everybody wore a closing pin necklace. And so you'd always have these little symbols of skydivers. And, and the old joke, uh, how do you know which one in the room is a skydiver? Don't worry, they'll tell you. All those. Uh, you know, so you, <laughs> I thought that was a pilot from across the It is, but yeah. it works really well for skydivers, too. <laughs> So it was, you kind of expected it then, but now it's kind of, uh, again, it's got that almost more of a, I don't want to say a corporate feel, but it's definitely got a, uh, almost a bit of a detached social media feel to it. Does that make sense? It's yeah. it's yeah. N- it's not as um, warm and huggy as it used to be. It used to be more of a, uh, at least for me, it had a more of a hippie feel to it. Um, and it seems to have changed a little bit. Not necessarily a bad thing. I suppose everything does change. Yeah, I think that that people are a little bit, um, maybe a little bit more, like kind of inward focused. Sure. A little bit because I think I think skydivers back in the day were probably a little bit poorer. Yeah. So they didn't really have a house. They they maybe had a van, but they seldom had shoes, and so they didn't have the opportunity to go and stay in a bed and breakfast or something. So couch surfing was really a thing. Yeah. Um, whereas now I think maybe people feel like they don't want to intrude or, you know, they, they feel like they're imposing sure. um, on somebody's world. Well, and I think it used to be, That's too, not- when we were coming up, um, the community felt so much smaller because social media wasn't a thing. You know, I mean, I, I pull up my mm-hmm. public Facebook account and I've got a couple thousand, quote, friends, um, of which I probably actually know 100 or 200 close. Uh, but these are still people that I would talk to and converse with, but I wouldn't necessarily want to give my couch up to somebody that I don't know. Yeah. Whereas back when I started in, you know, the late nineties and early two thousands, it was either someone I knew or someone I trusted knew. So then it was an open door. Yeah. So it has changed a little bit because yeah. I don't know that the sport's gotten that much bigger number wise. It just feels bigger because we've got contact to everybody anymore. Yes. Yes. And, and maybe also our generation has grown up 
So if people have gotten married and had kids, oh, maybe it's bite your tongue, dynamic. grow up. Fuck that. Never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to grow okay, up. Gotten, gotten older. There you go. Uh, how weird is that? I'm fine with <laughs> I'm fine with turning gray and having somebody tell me I'm old. But if they tell me I'm grown up, I get pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't no, want to be right. grown up. You're right. It's kind of a stone girl. No. So you had brought up tunnels, um, uh, and there aren't any there, but uh, again, you, you and I share the generation that started without tunnels. So what's your general opinion? What used to be your opinion of tunnels as they got started, and what's that opinion now? Um. So, so like, who doesn't love a tunnel, right? right? So, so I think like, I, we kind of went to one of the first ones, which was in Orlando at the time, just this really tiny little tunnel. Um, and now, I mean, sure, you've seen these, <laughs> these tunnels now in, in the Arab nations, which are just insane. I mean, they're doing 16-way formations in tunnels yeah. now. Yeah, it's insane. Um, I think, I think it's, yeah, I think at some point it's going to reach a critical mass. And, and from an affordability point of view, you know, it kind of needs to stagnate at some point. Um, I was in Spain, in Madrid in January, and there are four tunnels in Madrid alone. Wow. And we were just chatting chatting to the, the kind of the people that are running it. And they're all battling. So, again, it's not something that you want to be making too many of because it might just kill a couple of businesses. Sure. So, you know, obviously we can't regulate. Um, but the, the amazing thing that it's done is it's opened up the sport to a whole lot of people who wouldn't or couldn't necessarily do outdoor. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I stare at the kids doing it, these little young, tiny things doing the most phenomenal things in, in a tunnel that I could only dream of. Oh, I know it. I um, know it. But, uh, but again, it has changed the dynamic of the sport in terms of what people can do with their bodies and what they can do with the air. Oh, yeah. Um, but and, and I still have, you know, when I, I kind of go to these tunnels and I'm watching these people fly and I get a little bit of self-satisfaction knowing that a lot of them don't actually physically jump out of an airplane. Right. Um, so I kind of I kind of think I'm a little bit hardcore that I jump out of a plane right. and fly a parachute right. rather than have a very clean tunnel suit. <laughs> um so exactly. It's, it's, it's you know, it's uh, I, I was one of the, the first people that can kind of call myself a tunnel rat to start because I started flying and started working in uh, only the, the second tunnel ever built in the United States, which was in Las Vegas. Um, nowadays, okay. it's kind of just an amusement park ride and it does not compare even yeah. a little bit to the modern tunnels. But I started out yeah. in that tunnel and learned all the basics flying a big baggy suit in a windy tube. Um, of course, yeah. I, I stopped flying the tunnel and became a full-time skydiver. So I kind of, I get to think of myself as both, I guess, because I earned my real skills one jump at a time, uh, the old school way, but still had that tunnel background, which at least sparked the joy of it. But now I go in yeah. and I, I see what people can do in the tunnel. And I would have thought it would piss me off a little bit that they got to get so good without putting in all the hard work that I felt um, yeah. we did. But it turns out I'm not pissed at all. I'm amazed. I'm just at awe. I'm in awe yeah. of everything that they can do. And it actually inspires me to want to go try because I get to do something that uh, people like you and I don't get to do very often, which is go suck and be a student. <laughs> and I love it. You know? it's, it's exactly that. Yeah. It's exactly that. Oh, yeah. I, and I think that, yeah, I mean, I do think that that the tunnel has changed. I mean, we wouldn't have Hayabusa doing 
what they're currently doing if it wasn't for panels. So, you know, when we're watching the best of the best in the world, even outdoor, you know, like we have to give tunnel credit where it's oh, yeah. due, absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, it, it upped the game all the way around and it became, it went from, uh, just this sideshow attraction to something maybe you'd do if you couldn't, you know, you didn't have good weather to you must train in the tunnel if you're going to stand yeah. a chance of competing. Absolutely. I mean, even like I said, South Africans, when we compete on the global stage, we suck quite badly <laughs> because we don't have those tunnels on our drop zones and have access to it um, or have sponsorship for it. So, so we a little bit behind the curve from that point of view. Sure. But as an AFF instructor, I mean, I have students that, you know, I kind of look at them, you know, spinning around. Um, and all I can think about is, wow, if only we had a tunnel, I could oh, yeah. take two minutes to fix this guy instead of, you know, doing a whole bunch of 30 second jumps yep. um, to try and get them to fix the body position or, a, you know, a tweak here or a tweak there. So, you know, we, we, we would be desperate to have one here. We, we just don't have the funding um, or the, the people that are keen to put the funding up to actually get one here. Sure, sure. Now, there's people that are listening to the podcast that either don't skydive or, or are new to the sport that would ask, all right, well, if you can't train the way that you should be able to train to win and you guys are all basically self-sponsored teams, why do it? They want there's people I guarantee there's people that are thinking, well, all right, if you can't win and you can't train properly, why keep spending all that money? So there's a lot that you get out of skydiving, which is not always about um, kind of the, the international competition. Mm. So, so, I mean, in terms of what we do and going out and having fun with our friends or going and doing some cracker four-way or eight-way, you can't get that excitement of mailing a perfect eight-way exit in a tunnel. No. So there's, there's a different feeling and a different emotion that you get from being outdoors. The smells and the sounds and the you know, the space is just insane. Um, I mean, South Africa has some of the most amazing cloud formations and thunderstorms and sunsets. You can't get that in a tunnel. So right. you just got to look up and nature is right there in front of you. So even something like the smell of the jet fuel is hmm. just so different to what you get in a tunnel. And so, so for me, it's not an either or. Um, we've also had South Africans who have had that driving force to want to be the best in the world mm. and they have done that so when you you know gary smith and Polly williams they wanted that and they left south africa and they went to the u.s and they trained and they won sure and i mean i was i was at the world camps in croatia when they stood up on the podium representing the usa winning you know their gold medal oh yeah and we were just so proud. We were all standing at the back of the room, of course, but we were so proud of South Africans knowing that they were South African boys that had done this amazing thing. Absolutely. Well, so you've it's not got that you can't do it. You've got, I mean, you've got Billy Sharman. I mean, uh, how many times has Billy stood on a podium as a canopy pilot? You've got uh, Naomi Coates exactly. getting ready to go do Project 19, uh, and she's already a multiple world record holder. Uh, I mean, the, and yeah. these are these are some of the most kick-ass South Africans I've ever met. You've got Julian, who is the wingsuit god. I mean, oh. for Christ's sakes. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, you just you're, you're talking the the top of the heap, uh, it, the, and it's yeah. not just in one discipline; it's in multiple disciplines. Angie Sherman, for Christ's sakes, again, another insane competitor on her belly. Exactly. So it's not that you can't do it; it's just sometimes it just takes a little bit more effort, 
and maybe it's a little bit of the long way around. That's all. Sure, sure. Well, now, what do you see moving down the road? You, you, how long have you been chief instructor for Johannesburg now? So I'm going into my seventh year. Um, so it has been a, a long, a long haul, and I mean, I have been training at people. So I'm all about a succession plan, um, and I'm trying to do for people that come after me what I didn't get in terms of kind of information and knowledge and kind of where to find documentation and who to speak to about certain things and kind of how to run something and adopt zone fairly. And mm. so I've been working with, with a lot of people. So, and like I said, my instructor body is phenomenal. So I have people already who I could hand over the reins tomorrow and they would do a really good job. So yeah, but the nurse, I think I'll do it as long as I can remain sane. And, sure. <laughs> and as long as they still want me, it's not just about me, not my decision always. But, um, but yeah, for now, I think we're all good. Awesome. Well, now, as for as long as you've been an instructor now, obviously, you've had uh, students that have gone on to take on the reins in regard to uh, instruction, I'm sure, or competition and stuff. Uh, is there anyone memorable that you worked with in the past um, that stands out in your memory that's just gone on to do really cool things because of what you were able to give them? Oh, sure. <laughs> I, I give me goosebumps when you, when you ask these questions. Um, I think amazing thing with Facebook is that you do keep in touch with these people. Oh yeah. Um I've had I've had guys who I've trained who have gone to go and work in tunnels and have literally come back and flown circles around me. Um and so and then gone off and got out of the world. Um so, so there's lots, there's so many people who have just done amazing things. And and a lot of the South African competitors who compete against me at nationals, um I've been involved in a lot of their training. Um, How cool is that? There's, 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 I know, I know. And and it's just phenomenal. And the more I can do of that, the happier I am. Um, I want people to be better than me. I want people to excel and ex- and really just blow the lifestyle. Well, you, you know, it's kind of funny. I can't think of I, – I, I personally can't think of any other sports where an active competitor wants – to train someone that can beat them. I mean, we want that competition. They're, they're just going to push you to do better as well. But that's, I think that, at least for me, is very unique to skydiving. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I've been, like I said, I've been competitive my whole life. So for me, it's not kind of going to the end of the earth to be the best to the detriment of somebody else. Sure. Um, it's not like I've lost my competitive streak. I think that I get my fulfillment in different places now. Sure. Um, so it really is about just loving what I do and loving the look on people's faces when they do something amazing. Um, oh, yeah. Whether that, it's... That, that, watching the light bulb come on with a low time student that just figured out how to stop a turn or watching your friend who's trying to, you know, go dirt water dirt as fast as they can across the pond. It's still that same feel to it. And it's just spectacular to watch. No, no, absolutely. And that, that for me is amazing. Um, 
So, yeah, the more I can develop people, the happier I am. Well, it sounds to me like you have roughly the same mentality I do in that I, I'm never going to stand on top of the podium as the world champion, and I'm happy about that. I absolutely still have my competitive edge, but I'm never going to be the greatest guy ever in the world, which takes an enormous amount of pressure off of my shoulders because I already know it ain't going to happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'm getting a bit old, so I know this. Kind of a long time ago. Yeah, fair enough. Although I, I think we're also very lucky in that respect that uh, age doesn't play nearly as big a part in skydiving as it does in so many other sports. I mean, fuck, license yes. D1 is still jumping. Oh, amazing. I mean, if if Lou Sanborn is still at it, and people, I've got, as I'm sure you do, I've got many friends that are in their late 40s, early 50s, early 60s that are still very, very active in jumping that love it. Yes, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I I had to uh, join the pop group last year. (laughs) That was a big thing for me to get my pop membership. But, But it's great. And I, I look around at the people that we're doing these jumps with, and, and they're still phenomenal people and have got so much more. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and again, I think maybe it's because of when we got started, but the, the people that seem to hover around uh, my age group that are still super active in the sport are the ones that keep stoking the parties and doing all the truly silly shit in the first place. So it's almost yeah. like they're dragging the younger generation into being slightly irresponsible. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I would very much agree with that. Yeah, yeah, which is good, though. I think uh, for me, one of the biggest draws in the sport was not just the jumping, but everything that happened before and after. Uh, It was so much more the community than the actual act of jumping out of an airplane when I started. Because when I started, skydiving scared the shit out of me. So it it was a fight to stay in skydiving because I kept thinking, what the fuck am I doing? But then I'd be hanging around with all these amazing people and go, oh, okay, this makes it feel a little bit That's better. Right. You know, that awesome guy right yeah. there is just as dumb as me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it is really good to still talk to those people because they're sitting around the bonfire and when you're starting to reminisce, you do remember all the good stuff and oh, all the yeah. good times and all the crazy things that we did. Oh yeah. Um, well, that that was little, the, the youngsters kind of look at you with these big eyes, going, "You did what?" Oh yeah. <laughs> oh no, I love that too. And uh, well, and I've been flying for so long, and I took about a four year break off of jumping as well. And I can't count how many times people ask me, "So have you ever jumped?" <laughs> oh god. Yeah, I got a couple stories, <laughs> one or two. <laughs> and I'm, I'm fine with them thinking that because you just, uh, uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. You, you don't even want to go down that road because half of the time they think you're full of shit when you're telling the stories of what used to go on. I know, I know. And Ooh. I mean, I, I just look back now and, and I mean, just, you know, in terms of canopy piloting and, and just us bringing in some of the first cross braces into the country and none of us knew what we were doing. Right. Um, and yes, you know, we were getting coaching from the U.S. guys and, you know, kind of sending them videos and they were debriefing us during the week. Um and then, of course, putting wingsuits on was the other thing. We just sure. kind of got a wingsuit. You got a two-minute briefing going, okay, do this, do that, and then kind of close the wing and pitch. Right. And that was our wingsuit briefing. And people look at you now when I'm going, no, you have to do a full first flight course, and you need to do X, and you need to do Y. Oh, yeah. And in the back of my mind, I, mean... I remember my two-minute wingsuit briefing. 
I remember when when uh, PD released uh, the stiletto for the first time and the big, I still think it was a bit of an advertising gimmick and you would know more than me uh, in advertising, but they had announced that you had to be able to prove that you had a minimum of 500 jumps to be even, even be able to touch one of these canopies, which of course just guarantees yeah. every fucking buddy's going to want one. You know, exactly. You know, and exactly. so... We were all just figuring it out. Nobody knew how to do a, a hook turn. What the fuck was that? You know, and high performance <laughs> landings and elliptical canopies. And so we were all just kind of going, oh, fuck it. Give it a try. See what happens. And now I think it, we made all the mistakes. And for those of us that managed to survive the crazy years, now we're like, whoa, wait, no, no, no. You're going to want to learn from our mistakes, not the other way around. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which is which is a good thing, but I do think it did take a little bit of the fire out of the sport. Not that that's necessarily a bad thing, but it changed it for sure. Well, it definitely kept more people alive. Oh, yeah, which is ultimately the best thing you could possibly do. But it, it just is kind of funny because yeah. we get the reputation as being – you know, daredevils, and they call it uh, adrenaline extreme sports. And I never really thought of it as an extreme sport once I learned it because skydivers are generally so calculated and so safe in regard to their sports. Yes. So calculated risk takers, for sure. Yes. Um, and those are the guys that, that plan everything out meticulously. So yeah. that's a good thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I've never been one to stop people from having this uh, I this mentality of skydivers are all crazy because when I was younger, it got me laid because people thought, oh, he's a risk taker. And it was, you know, the dangerous guy thing. And you never wanted people to really know the truth. <laughs> no, yeah, it's risky, but we're being really fucking careful about it. <laughs> when sex was safe and skydiving was dangerous. Exactly. Huh? <laughs> one of my favorite skydiving T-shirts. I've still got one of those, as a matter of fact. So I, okay. I always wrap things up by asking um, if if you had advice to give for two different groups of people, uh, one, those that are just getting into the sport, and two, those that have been in it like you and I for a while but don't know if it's for them anymore. What's the advice that you give to them in regard to skydiving? How should somebody be, what mentality should someone have coming into the sport and those that are kind of getting burned out on it? Um, so the guys that are coming in, um, my best advice that I could give them is try not to rush. The sky's not going anywhere and learn the lessons slowly Yeah. because a lot of people are just trying to do too much too fast and they land up either hurting themselves or kind of getting frustrated because they can't do what they see the other guys doing. Sure. And then they, they either end up hurting themselves really badly or they end up leaving. So take your time. There's, there's no competition. There's no rush to get a certain number of jump numbers um, or to get to a certain size canopy. Um, just take your time sure. um, and learn the lesson. And then the guys that are feeling a bit burnt out, I would tell them just to take a break. Mm. The sky, again, is not going anywhere and the community is not going anywhere. So we've got a lot of friends who are kind of going, oh, but my family and my kids and all that kind of thing. And I say to them, I'm like, go and if you take a year off or two years off, Go and watch your kids grow up. We're not going anywhere. Yeah. We'll be here when you get back. Yeah. And what we what we do find is is they kind of they leave, they go and, and try different things or different sports, and then they come back refreshed with a new sense of kind of invigoration and a new love for the sport. 
before. Sure. And we've seen that over and over again. Well, so, I can yeah, I can definitely I can definitely testify to that. I took about a four year break and uh, uh, had a friend, uh, a canopy pilot named uh, Junior David Junior Ludwig, uh, asked me to go on a fun jump, and the idea gave me butterflies. And I went, "Oh shit! I think it's time to jump again." Yeah, <laughs> we go again. Yeah, because the idea was it was kind of scary, and uh, I found it about the most liberating thing ever because I came back into a sport that I had worked in pretty much my entire career to become a fun jumper for the first time with 12,000 jumps uh, and realized that I had so much more I could learn and and it didn't matter if I was any good and I could just go be goofy and nobody else's life was in the balance. I was just going to go play with my friends and it became just this amazing sport again. And I remembered, oh, this is why I started doing this. Exactly, exactly. Because I think people do that. They get so serious and it's all about, you know, the pack or the guest or the... sure you know, the student and you've got to, you've still got to make time to have fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, how do people uh, come jump at Scott of Johannesburg? Uh, um, is there a website and all that stuff that they can come check out? Yes. So our website is jsc.co.za and we've got a Facebook page. So we've got the Johannesburg Skydiving Club Facebook page. And if you are a serious skydiver, you can even join our closed Facebook group, which is JSC Skydivers. Awesome. And then we approve you, and then you get all the lowdown um, of the club stuff together. Nice, nice. Now, uh, as we're closing things out, I know that the, the virus has kind of put the kibosh on a lot of things, but uh, a little bit further down the road, are there any events everybody should be aware of? Or So uh, we're supposed to be hosting nationals this year. Um, it was meant to be next month in April, which has been postponed. So okay. we haven't canceled it, but it's postponed. Okay. Um, so we'll be letting everybody know new dates. Um, in a few weeks when this is all calmed down and then every year we host the Canto Boogie in November um, and that's great so people come out and, and do some cool stuff we, we kind of, when our version of multiple aircraft is two non-people aircraft mm. um, and some helicopters and maybe a balloon and that kind of thing so we have a, a little bit of a, a good fun weekend and then um, uh, it's not an event in South Africa but it's an event that we support our team supports is the Mahari Hari Epic, which happens in Botswana over the salt pans every year. And that's, um, I'm going to double-check the dates, but it's June or July this year. And that's amazing. And we we get to jump out of the big military causes and, you know, the Hercules awesome. aircraft. Over, um, over Botswana. <laughs> over the Botswana salt pans. It's, it's really phenomenal. And the, the Botswana military um are our pilots <laughs> it's really amazing and the, the guys come from all over the world and they get to go on a couple of safaris and see a whole lot of the wildlife and then do a whole lot of skydives in between awesome. Awesome. So those are the three events that I would recommend. Well, cool. Well, hopefully uh, um, we're able to get uh, all the stuff going around the world uh, under control and get back to a normal keel here relatively soon so that the June and November stuff out there is going on. Absolutely. Hopefully. Well, Beverly, thank you so much for taking the time to, to sit down. I, I highly recommend everybody check out the Facebook and website and uh, uh, keep in touch. And I've been told nothing but good things about jumping from everybody that I know that's jumped in South Africa. Uh, so, again, thank you so much for taking the time. You're amazing. Thank you very much for the opportunity. All right. Take care and blue skies. You too. Cheers. All right.
Thanks again for joining us for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you, as always, by Blue Skies Magazine. Head to blueskiesmag.com where you can subscribe to the magazine, get all the previously published issues, pick up some awesome swag. Uh, You can send those photos in, and you can also come up with those article ideas. Uh, For me, I am on Facebook as The Fucking Pilot. I am also on thefuckingpilot.net. That's where you can get links to this and all the other podcasts, as well as both of the books that I've written, uh, The Blue Sky. Guys Magazine's fucking pilot book and The Accidental Stripper, both available in digital and print form. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.